Section 11 of Moonface and Other Stories by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Planchette, Part 4. Well, what did you do last night after we left? Oh, took a stroll, Chris answered. Lute's eyes were quizzical as she asked with a tentativeness that was palpably assumed. With a... With Mr. Barton? Why, yes. And smoke? Yes, and now what's it all about? Lute broke in the merry laughter. Just as I told you that you would do. Am I not a prophet? But I knew before I saw you that my forecast had come true. I have just left Mr. Barton, and I knew he had walked with you last night, for he is vowing by all his fetishes and idols that you are a perfectly splendid young man. I could see it with my eyes shut. The Chris Dunbar glamour has fallen upon him, but I have not finished the catechism by any means. Where have you been all morning? Where I am going to take you this afternoon. You plan well without knowing my wishes. I knew well what your wishes are. It is to see a horse I have found. Her voice betrayed her delight as she cried, Oh, good! He is a beauty, Chris said. But her face had suddenly gone grave, and apprehension brooded in her eyes. He's called Comanche, Chris went on. A beauty, a regular beauty, the perfect type of the Californian cowpony. And his lines... Why, what's the matter? Don't let us write any more, Lute said. At least for a while. Really, I think I am a tiny bit tired of it, too. He was looking at her in astonishment, and she was bravely meeting his eyes. I see hearses and flowers for you, he began, and a funeral oration. I see the end of the world and the stars falling out of the sky and the heavens rolling up as a scroll. I see the living and the dead gathered together for the final judgment. The sheep and the goats, the lambs and the rams and all the rest of it. The white-robed saints, the sound of golden harps, and the lost souls howling as they fall into the pit. All this I see on the day that you loot story no longer care to ride a horse. A horse, loot, A horse! For a while, at least, she pleaded. Ridiculous, he cried. What's the matter? Aren't you well? You who are always so abominably and adorably well? No, it's not that, she answered. I know it is ridiculous, Chris. I know it, but the doubt will arise. I cannot help it. You always say I am so sanely rooted to the earth, and reality, and all that, but... Perhaps it's superstition, I don't know. But the whole occurrence, the messages of Planchette, the possibility of my father's hand, I know not how, reaching out to Ban's reign and hurling him and you to death, the correspondence between my father's statement that he has twice attempted your life, and the fact that in the last two days your life has twice been endangered by horses. My father was a great horseman. All this, I say, causes the doubt to arise in my mind. What if there be something in it? I am not so sure. Science may be too dogmatic in its denial of the unseen. The forces of the unseen, of the spirit, may well be too subtle, too sublimated, for science to lay hold of, and recognize, and formulate. Don't you see, Chris, that there is rationality in the very doubt? It may be a very small doubt, oh, so small, but I love you too much to run even that slight risk. Besides, I am a woman, and that should in itself fully account for my predisposition toward superstition. Yes, yes, I know. Call it unreality. 
But I've heard you paradoxing upon the reality of the unreal, the reality of delusion to the mind that is sick, and so with me, if you will. It is delusion and unreal, but to me, constituted as I am, it is very real. As real as a nightmare is real, in the throes of it before one awakes. The most logical argument for illogic I have ever heard, Chris smiled. It is a good gaming proposition at any rate. You manage to embrace more chances in your philosophy than do I in mine. It reminds me of Sam, the gardener you had a couple years ago. I overheard him and Martin arguing in the stable. You know what a bigoted atheist Martin is. Well, Martin had deluged Sam with floods of logic. Sam pondered a while, and then he said, For a fact, Miss Martin, you just talk like a house of fire, but you ain't got the show I has. How's that? Martin asked. Well, you see, Miss Martin, you has one chance to my two. I don't see it, Martin says. Miss Martin is this way. You has just a chance, like you say, to become worms for the fruitification of the cabbage garden. But I's got the chance to lift my voice to the glory of the Lord as I go padding them golden streets, along with the chance to be just worms along with you, Miss Martin. You refuse to take me seriously, Lute said when she had laughed her appreciation. How can I take that planchette rigmarole seriously, he asked. You don't explain it, the handwriting of my father, which Uncle Robert recognized. Oh, the whole thing, you don't explain it. I don't know all the mysteries of mind, Chris answered, but I believe such phenomena will all yield to scientific explanation in the not-distant future. Just the same, I have a sneaking desire to find out some more from Planchette, Luke confessed. The board is still down in the dining room. We could try it now, you and I, and no one would know. Chris caught her hand, crying. Come on, it will be a lark. Hand in hand, they ran down the path to the tree-pillared room. The camp is deserted, Lute said as she placed Planchette on the table. Miss Grantley and Aunt Mildred are lying down, and Mr. Barton has gone off with Uncle Robert. There's nobody to disturb us. She placed her hand on the board. Now begin. For a few minutes, nothing happened. Chris started to speak, but she hushed him to silence. The preliminary twitchings had appeared in her hand and arm. Then the pencil began to write. They read the message word by word as it was written. There is wisdom greater than the wisdom of reason. Love proceeds not out of the dry-as-dust way of the mind. Love is of the heart, and is beyond all reason, and logic, and philosophy. Trust your own heart, my daughter, and if your heart bids you have faith in your lover, then laugh at the mind and its cold wisdom and obey your heart, and have faith in your lover, Martha. But that whole message is the dictate of your own heart, Chris cried. Don't you see, Lute? The thought is your very own, and your subconscious mind has expressed it there on the paper. But there is one thing I don't see. And that? Is the handwriting. Look at it. It does not resemble mine at all. It is mincing. It is old-fashioned. It is the old-fashioned feminine of a generation ago. But you don't mean to tell me that you really believe that this is a message from the dead, he interrupted. I don't know, Chris, she wavered. I am sure I don't know. It is absurd, he cried. These are cobwebs of fancy. When one dies, he is dead. He is dust. He goes to the worms, as Martin says. The dead? I laugh at the dead. They do not exist. They are not. I defy the powers of the grave, the men dead and dust and gone. And what have you to say to that? He challenged, placing his hand on the planchette. On the instant his hand began to write. Both were startled by the suddenness of it. The message was brief. Beware, beware, beware! He was distinctly sobered, but he laughed. 
It is like a miracle play. Death we have speaking to us from the grave. But good deeds, where art thou? And kindred, and joy, and household goods, and friendship, and all the goodly company. But Lute did not share his bravado. Her fright showed itself in her face. She laid her trembling hand on his arm. Oh, Chris, let us stop. I'm sorry we began it. Let us leave the quiet dead to their rest. It is wrong. It must be wrong. I confess I am affected by it. I cannot help it. As my body is trembling, so is my soul. The speech of the grave, this dead man reaching out from the mold of a generation to protect me from you. There is reason in it. There is the living mystery that prevents you from marrying me. Were my father alive, he would protect me from you. Dead, he still strives to protect me. His hands, his ghostly hands, are against your life. Do be calm, Chris said soothingly. Listen to me. It is all a lark. We are playing with the subjective forces of our own being, with phenomena which science has not yet explained. That is all. Psychology is so young a science. The subconscious mind has just been discovered, one might say. It is all mystery as yet. The laws of it are yet to be formulated. This is simply unexplained phenomena. But that is no reason that we should immediately account for it by labeling it spiritism. As yet, we do not know. That is all. As for Planchette. He abruptly ceased, for at that moment, to enforce his remark, he had placed his hand on the planchette, and at that moment his hand had been seized, as by a paroxysm, and sent dashing willy-nilly across the paper, writing as the hand of an angry person would write. "'No, I don't care for any more of it,' Lute said when the message was completed. "'It is like witnessing a fight between you and my father in the flesh. There is the savor in it of struggle and blows.' She pointed out a sentence that read, "'You cannot escape me, nor the just punishment that is yours.' Perhaps I visualize too vividly for my own comfort, for I can see his hands at your throat. I know that he is, as you say, dead and dust, but for all that, I can see him as a man that is alive and walks the earth. I see the anger in his face, the anger and the vengeance, and I see it all directed against you. She crumpled up the scrawled sheets of paper and put Planchette away. We won't bother with it anymore, Chris said. I didn't think it would affect you so strongly, but it's all subjective, I'm sure with possibly a bit of suggestion thrown in. That and nothing more, and the whole strain of our situation has made conditions unusually favorable for striking phenomena. And about our situation, Lute said as they went slowly up the path they had run down. What we are to do, I don't know. Are we to go on as we have gone on? What is best? Have you thought of anything? He debated for a few steps. I've thought of telling your uncle and aunt... What, you couldn't tell me? She asked quickly. No, he answered slowly. But just as much as I have told you. I have no right to tell them more than I have told you. This time it was she that debated. No, don't tell them, she said finally. They wouldn't understand. I don't understand for that matter. But I have faith in you. And in the nature of things, they are not capable of this same implicit faith. You raise up before me a mystery that prevents our marriage... And I believe you, but they could not believe you without doubts arising as to the wrong and ill nature of the mystery. Besides, it would but make their anxieties greater. I should go away. I know I should go away, he said, half under his breath. And I can. I am no weakling. Because I have failed to remain away once is no reason that I shall fail again. She caught her breath with a quick gasp. It is like a bereavement to hear you speak of going away and remaining away. 
I should never see you again. It is too terrible, and do not reproach yourself for weakness. It is I who am to blame. It is I who prevented you from remaining away before, I know. I wanted you so. I want you so. There is nothing to be done, Chris. Nothing to be done but to go on with it, and let it work itself out somehow. That is one thing we are sure of. It will work out somehow. But it would be easier if I went away, he suggested. I am happier when you are here. The cruelty of circumstance, he muttered savagely. Go or stay, that will be part of the working out, but I do not want you to go, Chris. You know that, and now know more about it. Talk cannot mend it, let us never mention it again, unless, unless some time, some wonderful happy time, you can come to me and say, Loot, all is well with me, the mystery no longer binds me, I am free. Until that time, let us bury it, along with Planchette and all the rest, and make the most of the little that is given us. And now, to show you how prepared I am to make the most of that little, I am even ready to go with you this afternoon to see the horse, though I wish you wouldn't ride any more, for a few days anyway, or for a week. What did you say was his name? Comanche, he answered. I know you will like him. End of section 11